Amen. Hey, it's so good to be in God's presence to worship together. Brian and team, thank you guys. You guys know that um, Brian and some other worship leaders we have are just are stepping in because our worship pastor, Derek North, is on sabbatical, um, and we are really appreciative of all you guys do. Hey, Derek is coming back at the end of October, so it'll be great to have him and his family back with us. That's right. That's right. Hey, my name is Neil. I'm the adult and family pastor here, and welcome this morning. It's a beautiful morning to be together, to worship God. We are a community. We're a community. People who are different, who have different opinions, who come from different parts of life, we're coming together. We're gathered around Jesus Christ because we want to help everyone discover faith in Jesus Christ because faith in Jesus Christ changes our lives, changes the world. We want to grow in love for God and others, and we want to live as ambassadors of hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here together this morning. I'm really glad you're here. If you have something that you want to let us know about, um, let the staff know about, a prayer request or anything like that, you can check out our online connect card um, and tell us um, what's on your mind. And we'd love to connect with you this week. Also, if you are new today or you are kind of new-ish or you don't feel like you're fully connected yet to this church, I want to invite you to a little chai and chocolate meet and greet it's today. It's right through those doors back there. And uh, if you want to come, have some chai tea, have some chocolate. Peter Nittler is going to be welcoming everybody in. So that's for you. If you're new, if you're newish, if you're not fully connected, if you're on the live stream, it starts like at 11.15. So uh, drive on in and you can join us for chai and chocolate. Let me tell you a couple things that are happening in the life of our community. Um, the first one coming up, uh, nothing says community like a little rummage sale. Right? So in just a couple weeks, two weeks, October 22nd, um, two weeks, we are having a rummage sale right here at FBC is to raise money for some of the ministries and the initiatives that we're doing as a church together. If you have stuff that you want to donate for this sale, you want to contact youth pastor Jeff Hodges. His email address is jeff at fbcdavis.org and let him know. And then he can set up a time to, you know, meet and uh, grab stuff and um so it's by appointment to donate stuff liz Ballou, you're also on this thanks so much for doing this so calling all stuff that you want to sell rummy sale it's gonna be a great time and then you can invite your friends and neighbors to come out and buy some more stuff is that a deal that's a good deal uh second thing that's coming up in the life of our church is we have our trunk or treat uh it's coming up october 30th that is the day before halloween uh Right here at our church in the afternoon, uh, the parking lot gets uh, full of cars decorated up, and we have trick-or-treating happening. This is a whole church thing. If you're three and your parents said you have candy, you can come to this. If you're 90 and you still have that sweet tooth, you want to come to this, and everywhere in between. It's a lot of fun. Um, You have the chance to help out uh, in two ways. One is you could donate candy. So we have a candy box right back there. Uh, in the foyer. It's also one in the office. So you can donate candy anytime on Sundays or during the week. The most fun is to sign up to decorate your trunk. So if you want to do that, you can sign up online and we'd love to have you decorate your trunk. We provide the candy. Super fun. Last year, I brought my bicycle and bike trailer because we're in Davis and I decorated my bike trailer. Um, So you're all welcome to do that. It's going to be a great time. Hey, and the third thing, this is a really important thing um, that we're doing. Um, we're going to have um, a small group starting up. It's called Grace and Truth, and it's going to be Wednesday nights. And this is, this is um, 
We want to have honest conversations about scripture and about our families around um, LGBTQ um, realities in our world. Um, you know, we, we are a Baptist church in our name, and that might have some certain connotations um, in our broader world about what that means, what we believe about sex and gender. Uh, we believe the Bible has a lot of important things to say about sex and gender, and we want to have conversations around it. And in this room, on the live stream, I know that we have all sorts of different perspectives on what Scripture actually says and what is actually good for us. And I love that we're a church that can come together with our different perspectives and discuss, have honest conversations. And so I want to invite you, if, if this is a topic that is on your heart, if you have friends or family members or if you yourself um, find yourself in this community, um, to come on out. You, we're going to RSVP. It's space is limited because we want to have good, honest conversation. So it's not going to be a large group lecture. Um, we are going to have some teaching input through a little guide and some like teaching videos to discuss. And those are provided by the Center for Faith and Sexuality and Gender. Um, it's an organization in North America. So we're going to do that. But then we're going to just have conversation. Every question is a safe question, this place. And um, we're going to just discuss and consider together how to follow Jesus in this important aspect of our lives. So that's Grace and Truth. It's five Wednesday nights, and you're all invited to come. Just register online. All right. And you know, uh, because this is such an important um, thing, let me, just, let me just pray for that. Will you pray with me for just a minute? Father, we know that you've created us so beautifully, and, and our gender, our sexuality, our attractions, they're, they're so important on your heart and on our hearts. And we know the damage that has been done in our nation um, through people who represent you. And we long for this to be a safe place where we can have real conversation, where we can really pursue you in, in, in hope, in what you're doing in our lives, in honesty and in safety, Lord. And that's just, it just sounds so challenging in our culture that's so polarized. But I believe you can do it. I believe you can keep us together in unity and you can help us as a community support each other in all the things we're going through, in all the things that we believe. So would you just bless this time and fill it, Lord? I ask this in your name, Jesus, the lover of our souls. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks, you guys. All right. Uh, Bronwyn is preaching the word to us this morning, and she's continuing on in our new series called Upside Down Happiness. And she asked me if I could ask you guys to help us out to get ready for the sermon, all right? So I have a question that Brahman said, this is gonna really help us start the sermon. And the question has to do with unlikely pairings. You know, like peanut butter and jelly is a likely pairing. But Brahman said, hey, could you guys turn to your neighbor and share an unlikely or uncommon pairing? Let me give you an example of what I was thinking of because I'm a Lord of the Rings fan. What's more unlikely than a ring of power and a hobbit? All right, go ahead. Turn to your neighbors. Think of an unlikely pairing. We're going to welcome Bronwyn on up. Good morning. Glad to be with you. I'm Bronwyn Lee, the pastor of Discipleship and Women. Yay. Happy Sunday. Hello, online. Hi, Mom. Um, I am curious. I would have loved to have been uh, between all of you to hear what surprising pairings you came up with. Anybody come up with anything really weird? 
Yeah? One of the people who just put their hands up is my son. Um, I'm curious if any of you could come up with something weirder than him. Um, he, just a couple of months ago, made himself a snack which comprised of a tortilla with Nutella and Marmite, which is uh, like a soy sauce paste, and uh, cornflakes, and avocado, and honey, and salami, which he rolled up and ate and declared delicious. So, I mean, that's a taste combination. I don't, yeah, I don't know. Anyone can really defend that choice. <laughs> But sometimes you do find surprising pairings, things that don't feel like they should go together, they don't sound like they should go together, but somehow they fit, okay? Like uh, breakfast for dinner, right? Seems like it should be opposites, but those things work. Or uh, pineapple on a pizza. Yeah, you see... Now, I know some of you are thinking, heretic, get down, from the <laughs> get down from the pulpit. Okay, how about this one? Chocolate bacon. Yeah? Any takers on that? Okay, how about we move out of the kitchen and into the wardrobe, where we find a surprising pairing of um, a blazer and jeans. Okay, yeah? Which is kind of like, with its business on top and party at the bottom, it's kind of like the mullet of outfits. I think that that's what it is. Or when you think of surprising pairings, maybe you think of, of duos, right? Like Tom and Jerry. Those two don't go together. Or uh, Ross and Rachel, if you're a Friends watcher. Or the unlikeliest of pairs that ever there was, Miss Piggy and Kermie, right? <laughs> these are fun. <laughs> I mean, these surprises come to us in a world where we have all sorts of expectations and some fairly strong opinions about things that go together and things that don't. Because you can fill in the blanks, right? Fred and Ginger, right? Come on, people. Where are my music, musical watches? Sunny and? Sure. Peanut butter and? Jelly. Jelly. That's right. Green eggs and? Yeah, we don't know if those go together, but anyway. But when it comes to happiness, we actually have some surprising expectations about what should go with happiness. If you were to ask Bobby McFerrin, Sage, What do you need to do? Don't worry. Be happy. That's what goes with happiness. And uh, Pumbaa and Timo would agree. If you want a problem-free philosophy, what do you need to do? <laughs> That's right. Hakuna Matata. Happiness means no worries. Or if you ask Cool in the Gang, it's celebration. Okay? Or if you ask a thousand love songs, uh, love is what pairs with happiness. Um, or if you ask Farrell and Kevin... Um, happiness goes along with clapping, right? Like you feel like a room without a roof. Yes? These are the things we think pair with happiness. But this morning we find that Jesus has possibly one of the most surprising pairings of them all. Um, and we're going to have Leanna Rico come up and uh, read our scripture this morning. If you have a blue Bible in the pew rack in front of you, we're reading from the Sermon on the Mount, that first section called the Beatitudes. Um, it's on page 809, or you can pull it out. It's really helpful to have the text in front of you. Um, and Leanna is going to, you know what, I just put this very tall thing over here that's in your way. So I'm going to have you stand here right next to it so that it's not in front of your face. Everybody say good morning, Leanna. All right. Debbie, read for us. Ma Matthew 5, verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks, Leanna. <clears throat> Blessed are those who mourn. It's probably the best-known verse out of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and so we kind of are familiar with it. I mean, even people who are not church-going might be able to complete that sentence if I gave them a prompt. But I just want you to think again for a second about how very weird that sentence is. Blessed, or as we've said in some translations, happy or fortunate or lucky, are the sad ones, the mourners. Um, I mean, it's bizarre. It's like saying, full of the hungry. Like it's opposite day, Jesus. You know, hungry <laughs> is not, doesn't go with full. Or healthy of the sick. Is that what he's saying? I mean, how on earth, in our quest for happiness, does mourning figure? And so I want us to ju jump into just this verse this morning and dig a little deeper because what Jesus is inviting us to see here is that mourning has a place in the blessed life. And it's not a contradiction and it's not opposite day, but it is a surprising pairing. It's a surprising pairing. You ready? You've got your Bible in front of you because you're going to want to look down at it. Steve introduced us last week to um, this theme of um, upside-down happiness. And last week we started with the first of those. Blessed are the poor in spirit, um, for this is the kingdom of God. And the understanding is that the kingdom of God, that new reality that Jesus is introducing, with all of its blessings and riches, is given to those who really recognize their spiritual need. Okay, those who are um, bankrupt before God and desperate for him. So if you really imagine, use the analogy of the kingdom of God being like an elite academy, um, where even the richest among us could never afford the fees, ever, right? The only way to get into this elite academy is on a full scholarship. You couldn't even pay partial tuition. Only way to get there is a full scholarship. But the good news is, is that anybody who applies can have a full ride to get there. Right? We would say happy or fortunate or blessed are those who ba are bankrupt enough to get the aid. Yes? So there's that kind of like conundrum in blessed are the poor in spirit. And our verse this week has a similar surprise pairing. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So we're starting with this idea of mourning and what Jesus means by that. And what I mean by mourning, I think what Jesus means by mourning, is this deep, painful grief that we feel in response to suffering. It's a deep, painful grief that we feel in response to suffering. Now, I want to just pause there right at the beginning and say that Jesus did not say, blessed is the suffering. Okay, He's not baptizing evil things as good. Mourning is a response to suffering. You, you've got the difference? Mourning is how we experience it and process it. It's the grief or pain we feel in our whole bodies because something or someone is lost or something is deeply wrong in the world. And Jesus here speaks a blessing to those who are in a state of mourning, who are feeling the pain of something that is wrong, something that is lost, or something that is broken. Why are the mourners mourning? Well, our first thought, my first thought when I think of mourning is that we mourn over death. Is that the first place your brain went? I think of mourning in association with death. We experience bereavement over the loss of people. 
whether it's loved ones we've lost and we miss so very, very much. Um, and we actually grieve over people we did, don't even know. We mourn over lives that are cut short, like school shootings in Oakland and Vallejo just last month. Or mourning this week um, about women in Iran and the terrible torture and deaths that are happening as um, people are standing up against the morality of police. It's really terrible. And we mourn over those deaths. But mourning is bigger than that. We mourn over death, but we also mourn over sin. Like Paul's lament in Romans chapter 7, that is like part frustration almost and part grief all mingled together, that he just can't do the good that he wants to do, and he can't, doesn't seem to be able to stop doing you know, bad things in him. And he kind of just mourns that state of stuckness in sin. Mourn the damage that it does. And I feel this too. The longer I walk with Jesus, I think, oh, I, sh- I should be over this yet. I shouldn't be struggling with this yet anymore. But I am, and I mourn it. I grieve over the depth and breadth of sin, like in the world and especially in me. There's a mourning over sin. But both death and sin are aspects of a much broader category of all that is wrong in the world. Right? That's the category. <laughs> Death is wrong, and disease is wrong, and all kinds of sin with people being wicked to each other because they traffic each other and belittle each other and exclude each other and betray each other and cheat on one another. All of that is wrong. People rejecting God is wrong. People abusing the earth is wrong. Like These are all aspects of the brokenness of our sin-soaked world and our sin-soaked selves. And when we feel the sadness of how things are and the gap between how things are and the fact that that's not how they're supposed to be. What we're experiencing is mourning. Does that make sense? We're we're feeling that gap. It's not supposed to be that way. That's why we mourn. Mourning is that feeling of it sucks. It's sad. It's wrong. It's not supposed to be this way and we grieve over those moments. And we in the West, friends, are not good at mourning. When we feel sadness creeping in, we tend to do a whole bunch of other things rather than mourn. We distract ourselves with other activities. We numb with entertainment. Uh, We respond with anger, because anger feels much more powerful than the vulnerability of grief, doesn't it? Um, We strategize to fix things with policies and plans and politics. Or we just cope. with our quiet, stoic self-control. All of these things we do to bypass or offset mourning, white Western culture in particular does not do well with this. And one of the things we talked over this past summer in our Psalms series was how the Psalms are teaching us to feel the full gamut of emotions, including grief and lament when we experience the hard things in life and how we need to make space for that lament. And there are many spaces in the... um, voices in the global church who are teaching me, are teaching us, how we can do that better. That's that's like a blind spot, I think, in our particularly white, but definitely in our Western experience. So how do we mourn? I'm taking notes, learning just from my next-door neighbors who are Jewish and who sit Shiva when someone dies. They have a practice gathering every day for several days to talk about and mourn together the one that they've lost. Mourning well involves community. People are gathering together and telling stories and experiencing that together. Mourning involves time. They're actually setting aside time to process and 
feel it all. And mourning involves our bodies, actually. Like, mourning is not an abstract academic exercise. It involves um, an, tears or food or rites of passage, but things we actually do to move through it. And maybe you don't uh, tear your clothes these days and we don't put ash on our faces and, and wear sackcloth. But we do want to learn that there is a place for tears and that sometimes there are things we want to do to express our grief. Like historically, people have worn black to express death. In other cultures, they wear white. Okay, but it's a, it's a visible expression of mourning after death. It's an embodied way to say something is not right in the world and I, it's not okay and I'm sad about it. It's why going to prayer vigils matters. You know, like the ones held in, in Central Park after the outbreak of violence against Asian American people. We just mourn that that happens. It's not right. Or the prayer vigil that was held for Ukraine you know, when um, Russia invaded Ukraine. Or like the, the prayer vigil we had here two years ago after the deaths of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor where we just wanted to say, this is wrong. Racist death is wrong and we lament that. And we, want to, we were looking for ways to express our mourning, okay, physically. We were gathering, we were giving it time, we were giving it space for us to process together. And friends, that's why tomorrow, that historically has been Columbus Day, um, is no longer called that. And it is better recognized as Indigenous Peoples Day, because as Dr. Um, Soong Chang Ra points out, you can't discover a place that's already inhabited, Okay. America was already inhabited by Native Americans, and even this land we are on right here in Davis used to belong to somebody else, the Patron people, and it was taken. Now, how we fix and address that is a very complex question, but it starts long before we get to the what-do-we-do stage with just an acknowledgement that something wrong happened, and we hold some space for that, and we mourn that this is a sad part of our history. It just sucks. And maturity in both life and faith involves an aspect of learning how to mourn appropriately. Maturity in life and faith involves learning how to mourn appropriately. I'm working on it, um, and I think we as a community are working on it. So that's a bit about why we mourn and maybe how we mourn. But let's just pause here and say that Jesus was really um, shows wisdom here that modern psychology and Western culture, we're still catching up with. Right? It is very important for us to figure out what to do with our mournful feelings. And it's really unhealthy for us to suppress or deny them. If we try and skip past mourning by distracting, reacting, getting angry, denying, etc., we miss out at best and we do damage at worst, both to ourselves and to other people. If we don't learn how to mourn over death and grief. I mean, you, you can't just bury it. It'll come out sideways somewhere. I mean, you can't kill grief and pain by burying them. It takes longer to heal if you try and resist mourning. You've got to go through it. If we don't mourn over sin, then there's no opportunity for repentance and forgiveness and restoration, right? But there has to be mourning to bring you to the place of need. And if we don't mourn over the brokenness of the world, how else will we be moved to compassion or prayer or mercy to address it? Right? Many of those things start with mourning. But rather, when we feel the poverty of spirit that Steve talked about last week, we realize our dependence on God, um, 
<clears throat> and we sit in that feeling of vulnerability and sadness, of this sucks and I don't even know what to do about it. And we really don't like that feeling. I like to feel like I have a next step, right? <laughs> But if we sit in that feeling, the thing is that there's something good to be found. There is blessing, Jesus says. So let's move on to figure out why Jesus says there is blessing for those who mourn. What is blessed about this? Well, I think there's two aspects to it. The first is this. When we mourn, God draws near to us. That's the first part of the blessing. The second part is similar. When we mourn, it actually gives us a closeness to God's heart that we wouldn't otherwise have had. Let's look at the first one. The Bible speaks again and again of the fact that God draws near to us in our sadness. He is not indifferent, um, and he's not distant to our sadness. He hears, and he nears. He noticed when Adam was withdrawing in shame in the garden, and he came looking. The Bible says he heard the cries of Israel when they were being oppressed in Egypt, and he responded. Psalm 34:18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's a verse I've memorized. It really matters to me. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. It says in Psalm 56, this is such a beautiful image, Lord, you keep track of my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in a bottle. There's not a single tear that you've cried that God is not aware of and that is not precious to him. And friends, whatever it is that you feel sadness about, God sees it and he knows and he's not indifferent, and he's sad about it with you. It's a blessing to know that, isn't it? And we see this embodied in Jesus, who drew near to the brokenhearted. We see him sharing in the mourning over the death of his friend Lazarus, who was gravely ill, and John, gravely ill. I never even thought of it. That's really ill, like when you're headed for the grave. He was gravely ill, and then he died. And we are told at the beginning of John 11 several times that Jesus knew what he was going to do. He knew Lazarus was going to die. He knew it was going to end in glory. It says that in verse 4. He knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. He told his disciples to, you know, watch and see what was going to happen. But we don't see him when he arrives at the scene, swooping in and saying to all of the gathered mourners once he's died, oh, don't worry, don't, don't worry, don't cry, don't cry, stop sniffling, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to fix it, you guys. He doesn't do that. He doesn't rush to the happy ending, even though he knows it's coming. Look with me at what he does. John 11.33 tells us that when he, that's Jesus, saw Martha, um, her, that's the her, Lazarus' sister, weeping, And the Jews who'd come with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit. A gut-wrenched is a good translation of that. And greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And so Jesus walks with the morning procession to the gravesite, still not giving away the ending. He's in funeral procession. And there in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, if you ever have to win, a, you know, a verse recitation. John 11:35 is your friend. Here's the whole verse. Jesus wept. He mourned. Even though he knew what he was about to do, to fix it. He drew near to the mourners and he grieved over the wrongness of death because it still sucks. And it was still sad. And the Jews, seeing it for what it was, 
seen Jesus' tears, looked and said, see how he loved him. And they were right, weren't they? Because he wouldn't grieve if he didn't care, if he didn't love him. <clears throat> like, the mourning is a sign that you cared about it. Jesus did love, and he mourned and drew near to those who loved and grieved Lazarus too. Church family, whatever <clears throat> sorry, sadness you feel, Jesus is willing to sit with you and grieve with you over that. And not rush to the, he's not rushing anyone to get over it. Even though he has a plan, and it will be fixed one day, he's not rushing. He draws near to the brokenhearted right now, even if he knows, even though he knows that there's healing coming in the future. And that is a blessing. And that is a comfort. Psychiatrist and Christian therapist Dr. Kurt Thompson says this, that healing, and he's, even, he's talking about healing from trauma, but this applies to a bunch of healing, begins with God's willingness to be present with us. Healing begins with God's willingness to be present with us. And that God draws near to us when we're in mourning is a very amazing and comforting thing. But there's more. <clears throat> it's not just that when we mourn, God draws near to us. The second aspect of how mourning and blessing are a surprisingly good pairing is this. But mourning is a gateway to us drawing nearer to God too. Because our God is a God who experiences grief and mourning. The things we mentioned at the beginning, that we mourn over death and sin and the brokenness of the world, these are things that grieve God. And when we grieve over them, we are reflecting something that is true of the way God feels towards his world. And, towards us. <clears throat> and the more and more we learn to love what God loves and to delight in what God delights in, to call true things true and beautiful things beautiful, so too we also begin to mourn more and more what God mourns. And again and again, the Bible describes God's response to the rejection that he faces from people and the devastating choices that his people make is grief. God grieves in the Bible. You know when you know what something ought to be like, that it should be fabulous and beautiful and true and excellent and it isn't, you mourn. I mean, how much more if you were the maker of that good and beautiful and true thing? Or if you're the parent of the children making devastating choices, right? You are so invested in grief <clears throat> over what's going on. And it's because of that perspective that Daryl Johnson describes the mourners of um, Matthew 5-4 as aching visionaries aching visionaries, because Jesus is saying there is a real ache that comes when you see what was meant to be and you compare it with what is. You're getting a glimpse of how God sees the world. And that's part of the blessing, is that we get closer to God. The, more we'll, the, the closer we get to him, the more we'll love what he loves, delight in what he delights in, and the more our heart will break over what breaks us and we'll mourn. We enter into his suffering. That's one of the mysteries of the gospel. And part of that mourning is just devastation over sin and death and brokenness in the world. It's not okay. Things are not okay. And God mourns over it, and we get to mourn with him. And there's a sense in which Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn, because they are seeing things as they really are. They're calling a spade a spade. It's truthful. 
right? They're aching for how it should be. I love the movie Inside Out. It's probably my favorite Pixar movie. And if you have not seen the movie, you should. Um, <clears throat> and in it, we meet 11-year-old Riley, who is a young girl who's made a move with her family to somewhere new, and she's struggling with all sorts of feelings, right? And these feelings in the movie are anthropomorphized. I don't know how to say that out loud. You know what I mean into several characters um, in the emotional control center of her brain. And so there's joy, you can tell who joy is, <laughs> and anger, and sadness, and disgust, and fear. Yeah? When the director of the movie, Inside Out, Pete Docter, first started imagining the movie, <clears throat> he said in an interview that he was grappling with his own internal blend of emotions. His movie, Up, had just won an Oscar for Best Animated Movie. He'd just been nominated as well as one of the writers on the award-winning Wally. -E. Um, he really made it, and he was dealing with real fear that he would never make anything good again. He'd never be able to live up to his past successes. Um, and he wanted to find joy, but he was really battling fear. So fear and joy were the, first, the, the two big characters when he first started making a movie. But as he worked on the storyline, he said in an interview, he realized that having joy and fear together weren't going to work. This is what he said. I realized that I didn't know what joy could possibly learn from fear. Fear couldn't help her grow. And at this point, a light bulb went off in his head. He says, it hit me that the friends I'm closest to are the people I've not only shared good times with, but also sad times. And that there's a real purpose for sadness, because we're not meant to be happy all the time. And so he switched it up, Dr. did. And instead of it being joy paired with fear, he paired joy with sadness. And sadness is actually the surprising hero of the movie Inside Out, because until joy realizes that there's a purpose for all of the emotions, disgust does good work, right? In teaching us not to eat poisonous things and anger, tells us that there's something very wrong, and fear tells us that we need to take care, and sadness tells us that something is broken, but she, Joy learns these things from sadness until she realizes <clears throat> that sadness is her cue to what's right and not right in the world. She can't find her way into him. Or as Stephen Colbert shared in an interview with Anderson Cooper, he is grateful for grief. Isn't that a strange thing to say? But Colbert knows what it's like to mourn. He lost his father and two siblings at the age of 10 in a plane crash. He's grappled a lot with grief. And in talking with Anderson Cooper, who also has experienced significant loss, he, he gives this advice. Instead of thinking of grief as, grief as a trap of depression, think of it as a doorway. Because you're going to be a different person on the other side of this. So let me be clear again here. Colbert's not saying he's grateful his family died. That's not what he's saying. That would be macabre. But he is saying that on the other side of grief and mourning, that he's grateful for the blessings that have come from it. And I would say the same. I have lived through things in my own life and my family that I would never wish on something because they were wicked and terrible things of the brokenness of the world. And I mourn those events and I mourn those losses. But I also want to say that I don't know who I would be without them. And that I've seen God's comfort and his nearness, and I've got a sense of the fact that God also really cares about those things, and I've drawn near to him in a way that I couldn't possibly have done otherwise. 
And it's not that I had to mourn in order to be blessed. Like That's not the causality that Jesus is drawing here. But he is saying, when we mourn, and we all will, we find God surprisingly near to us. And we have the opportunity to draw near to him, and to his perspective and heart. And that's both a blessing and a comfort. So let's spend just a few minutes talking about the comfort that Jesus promises. Blessed are those who mourn, he says, for they will be comforted. Well, the zinging question, at least for me, is this. When? When? Comfort is great. When is it coming? And the answer to that is not either now or then. The answer to that is both. And both now and then. First, the answer of when is coming is that one day, when he returns and brings the new heaven and new earth, which he surely will do, as Revelation 21, 4 promises, that he will wipe every tear from our eyes. That's the promise. There will be no more crying. There will be no more sadness. There will be no more mourning. No pain. Because these former things are going to pass away. That's the promise. That comfort, that perfect, complete comfort is coming. And also, the comfort comes now. The answer of when Jesus will bring comfort is that he brings it right now with his presence. With his presence. The word for comfort in Matthew 5, 4 is parakaleo, Greek. It comes from the word, um, in English actually, the pairing is almost the same as Greek. To para means to come alongside like a para-educator, right? Or parallel lines or the ones that are right next to each other. And to comfort, right? And Comfort in English also has that same idea. Come is with and fortis. It's the coming alongside to give strength. It's the word that soldiers would use when they cheered one another on through an endurance thing. It's the word of fortification through togetherness. It's actually kind of cool when English and Greek both have the same word combo. And we have both of those things. It means the gift of being with someone that gives them strength to endure. Can you see how that word works? Comfort. Here is a cool, fun Bible fact. Would it surprise you even a little bit to know that when Jesus promised to send God himself in the Holy Spirit, the name that he gives the Holy Spirit in John is paraclete, which is the noun that goes with the verb. Did you know that? That's cool. Nod, that's cool. That's very cool. Paraclete is the noun of the one who is with us to give strength. And the way that Jesus blesses us in in our mourning is to be with, he promises to be with us to give strength. And so one of the chief ways that God comforts us in our mourning is that he gives us himself to be with us, to encourage us, to give us strength, to draw alongside us. We are not alone In our mourning, he is with us. And that is a blessing, isn't it? That we're not alone. That he's willing to sit with us in sadness. You know, when things are going well, many might be willing to celebrate with us. Everybody likes to come to a party. Most people like to come to a party. 
Introverts like to go to a party with very few people. But <laughs> we like to gather over good reasons. But when things are hard and tested, when we're in mourning and sadness, that is when you figure out who's really drawing near. Isn't that true? When love is tested. And that's the surprising pairing, isn't it, of discovering when you mourn that there's someone who's with you. And isn't that a blessing? When you discover that there's someone with you in that time, that God is with us, that he comforts us, that he himself knows what it is to mourn, and so he draws near to be present with us when we mourn. And that when we mourn, we are getting a glimpse into his own heart, which is broken over death and damage and sin. He's also mad about that terrible thing that happened. He's also heartbroken about that thing that was lost. And there is a way in which mourning invites us deeper to just sit with him. Sit with him. And the blessing of him being with us and us being with him. And that's part of the reason why Paul just overflows with praise when he writes in the opening of 2 Corinthians, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions. And Paul knows, because he himself has experienced mourning of all different types and grief of all different types, that God, through the Holy Spirit, is with us, pouring out his comfort on us. But look at where this verse goes. <clears throat> The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. It has the idea that our comfort from God overflows to the world. Romans 12.15 tells us to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And we've seen that God leads by example in this. Jesus leads by example in this. He rejoices when we rejoice, and he mourns with us when we mourn. And when we mourn alongside with him, he's with us, and, he is, <clears throat> and we are with him. And that's a blessing and a comfort. But then, friends, and this is the beautiful part, all that co-mourning and comfort and blessing that God gives to us, teach us how we are to face a hurting world. Like Jesus, we are called to mourn with a mourning, hurting world. And just like 2 Corinthians says, just as we are comforted by God, we are called to be conduits of that comfort. With it, with we ourselves overflowing with comfort to others. And how do we do this? You're thinking, I don't know how to comfort people. No, you do. You comfort people the way God comforts us, by being with them in their sadness. The primary way that God comforts us, he parakaleos us through the Holy Spirit, is <clears throat> just by being with us, present, alongside. It's a gift of someone showing up and patting you on the shoulder or holding your hand and just being with you while you're sad. You don't have to say anything. Just showing up at the funeral. Sending a text to say, I'm with you. You know what? <clears throat> when God said to Abraham at the beginning, I will bless you and I will make you a blessing, 
This is one of the ways that we live that out. God blesses us with his comfort when we mourn, and he makes us a blessing as we comfort those who mourn around us. We are conduits of comfort to a mourning world by showing up to be present and with people. And when we do that, we are living out what the beatitude says. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And also, you are a blessing to those who mourn when you comfort them. It's a surprising pairing, isn't it? But it makes sense. It tells the truth about reality. And it speaks a true hope about the way that God meets us in it. Can I invite you to pray with me? Jesus, thank you that you come to us in our mourning and our sadness, that you see the things that are broken and that hurt, and that you don't rush us through them, but that you meet us in them. God, meet us in our hurts. And God, help us to be a comfort and a blessing to the mourning people around us. May we not rush people through their feelings or be impatient. Help us to be present with them, even as we hold out the hope for the future. We want to learn from you in this, Lord Jesus. Amen.